Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Without further ado, here is a bonus episode and simulcast of Iron Radio. This is a full-length episode that you will see occasionally here on the Nutrition Radio Network. Enjoy. How, We won again. This is good. But what is best in life? Good morning, everybody. Another episode of Iron Radio. This is Phil Stevens. I am a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, boxer, and strength coach. Nice. Uh, this is Dr. Mike Nelson, uh, owner of Extreme Human Performance, creator of Flex Diet Cert, the PhysFlex Cert, and back home from Costa Rica and ISSN. Cool. And I'll be in Toronto next week, so but home for a little bit. This is Coach Durrell. I am the final Strength Guild gym, the last oasis of Strength Guild fitness facilities, and I am out of the KC area. Right on. And I am Lonnie Lowry. I am a food industry consultant, um, adjunct professor, former competitive bodybuilder. Sweet. So you got some uh, some news and uh, some questions. Well, yeah, let's do the listener, um, the listener question because it's a good one and it's come up over the years. Uh, while Phil pulls that up, everybody, it's just um, – it's the usual thing, right? Where you go to your doctor about your T levels and he or she is skeptical um, that you're, you're trying to optimize something or get jacked or who knows what. Okay. It's a long one. <clears throat> hey, Phil, hope you're well. I have a question on the show. If you may, I think I'm getting hosed by my doctor, but I'm not experienced enough to know for certain. I had blood work done recently to check my free and testo- total testosterone levels. My free testosterone came back as 135. With a little bit I know, seemed extremely low to me. Apparently, there are two ways to measure for free testosterone. One is through blood work, and one is through a salivary test. I had blood work done. If I had a salivary test, then 135 would be normal range. With blood work, that number is extremely low. My doctor told me that it, in fact, was not low. And I was playing some sort of game. What he did not do was educate me on why he believed I was wrong. If you take blood tests to measure free testosterone, the number is determined by way of nanograms per deciliter. If you take a salivary test, that number is determined through picogram per milliliter. What I'm wondering is if you could discuss both, uh, discuss possibly in an episode what it looks like specifically. I want, I don't want to think I'm right about something when in fact I don't know what I'm talking about. I would just like you guys to explain to me the different testings and if the only way to come with a number of 135 being normal range is through a salivary test. Thanks, man. So, yeah, he's he's right that you're only going to get that with a salivary test. I think it's worth pointing out. Usually a, a physician's going to do a blood draw and look for total and free T. I mean, I always just remember total and free T. And again, this varies a lot, right? Age and individual but I always just think about this like 300 to 1,000 scale, right, of nanograms per deciliter. That's for young people. I, I'm yeah. under no delusion that in my 50s, my, I, you know, I'm going to have a T level near 1,000. <laughs> that's really that's for, high. That's for total testosterone, right, Lonnie? That's for total, right? That's yeah. for total. Free is going to be around 2% of that, right? Because most of it's bound up with like 
sex hormone binding globulin, a little bit from albumin, but that's not as much of a problem. In Uh fact, you know what? I just had a flashback. Uh, The listener, you you could go check out. I wrote an article called uh, Testosterone Unleashed on T Nation years ago. It's back in the day when we used to have lots of references (laughs) and, you know, evidence-based writing. So um, you, you could check out Testosterone Unleashed. That'd be one thing. Yeah, free free tea. I don't see it being one thirty five. Like he said, only a salivary test. Like salivary tea is like two hundred to five hundred. I think peak picograms per mil. I've never. I've had my total and free tea checked all the time by different doctors, including guys that I trust that are experts in men's health, and they always just do total and free tea from a blood draw. Yeah. Um, Salivary tea is a cool test it, because it sort of reflects what's thought to be tissue levels and they're not as affected all that stuff in your blood. But uh, it's, I've, I've read weird stuff in some studies that sometimes it reflects serum levels really well, sometimes not. I just don't think a lot of docs are going to be doing that. I don't know. Uh, Mike, you work with like functional med docs and stuff. Are they are they looking at salivary as much as they are just free and total in the blood? Yeah, I mean, the only ones I've worked with and I have an md phd i keep on retainer for questions and stuff like i would say almost all of them are looking at total testosterone first most of them will hopefully look at free testosterone also but i would say the average doctor is probably still just looking at total blood levels of testosterone Mm -hmm. the areas i see more salivary testosterone done Typically, that's in an area where you can't pull bloods. So they're doing it as kind of a workaround to say, oh, hey, look, I measured your testosterone. And, you know, sometimes it may not be my an MD and they may be limited by licensure and state laws and that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I'd say vast majority of the time I see total testosterone and then also free mm-hmm. testosterone. Yeah. If the listener is at 900, I think he said nanograms per deciliter. <laughs> That, that's yeah. really high, bro. And I can see why the doc is like, dude, what are you after here? You know, because <laughs> the the guy that I go to and I have for years to check these sorts of things, he's had clients. Um, he's not violating HIPAA or anything. I just also know some of these other guys personally. And they are out to try to get their T levels jacked as high as they can, you know, and I'm, you know, but he knows me. I, I'm just like this 50 something dude that just doesn't want to fall apart, <laughs> you know, um, but if it's that high, uh, he's not gonna, if the total's that high, I've even had pushback on, well, your, your total is within normal range, medium, oh, yeah. normal, but your free is too high. And, you know, you can manipulate the amount of free tea you have, like, People who fast for a lot, they, if they undereat and they don't sleep and they drink alcohol, it messes with their total T levels and their SHBG, right? The the binding protein that kind of ties up your testosterone. So they're going to look at total and free, most of them. Um, a lot of them just total. The real pain in the ass is when you get a doctor who says, you know, on this 300 to 1,000 scale, you're 299. Um, yeah. Now you're yeah. hypogonadal. You're 301. Nope, you're good to go. And, yeah. and then you're like, yeah, but dude, I was my whole life. I've been 800, you know, yeah, that's how and my I first was, it was horrible. Um, yeah. And you know what? Uh, we said this years ago and the listener, I mean, this is, this is almost rude, but you can always fire your doc and oh, get yeah. another opinion. I'm not saying go be a drug seeker, but you can fire a physician. The way the industry is set up is 
they kind of expect you to be somewhat subjugated. You wait for 45 minutes to get in, you know, every you don't know as much as he or she does. And but ultimately, it's your money and your body. And if he doesn't like that, then but you should know anywhere you go, if your total T is 900, if you're on TRT, they're going to pull you off of it or down titrate it a little bit. Um, probably not pull you off of it, but reduce reduce the number of pumps that you get a day or however you're doing it. Um, yep. Yeah, but that's my thought anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, that's what I don't know. I looked into it a little bit when I was seeing he did get a blood test done. And from what I was reading, the scale that those two measurements are interchangeable, like 35 to 155 PG per ml is the same as 3.5 to 15.5 NG per DL. Yeah, it's a unit's nightmare, right? Yeah, that that you could. That basically, what this says, even though he did a blood test, they they show it in the PGML scale, and it says that thirty five to one fifty five is normal, as far as a blood test goes. So I was like, "You're right there," and you have to realize that it's only going to be like you said, your your free is always going to be a small percentage of the total, and when your total is nine hundred, yeah, like you said, you're not. No doctor's going to be like, "Yep, need to give you more," you know. <laughs> So. Yeah, if we ask, if we just guess that it's two percent, because it's going to vary like between one and five percent, right, of your total. But if we guess like two percent, which most people do, so his should be at nine hundred total. What's that? Eighteen. He should be eighteen yeah. nanograms per deciliter free tea. That's that's also very high in the normal range. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I hope that was helpful. Yep. Yeah. Right. The only other thing I would add too is if uh, people in general are looking at doing TRT like we've discussed on the show before. Again, I'm not pro or con. We're just, I always say, go back to your doc and ask them, if you ever decide that you want to get off TRT, what are your options? Because I see, not this person in particular, but I just see a few, too many people with that come through that I see with very interesting lifestyle choices of, you know, less sleep, under eating, you know, training too hard, thinking that TRT is going to solve all their ills. And sometimes it can be very helpful, but sometimes it's not going to make up for all of your sins. Shocker. Um, and then they want to get off a year later and may have some complications. So I always tell them just, you know, be educated, talk to your doc, and then ask them that if you do try it, great. If you decide to get off, you know, what are some of your options? And what I've noticed is most docs who are familiar with it will, you know, be educated and give you some potential options, help educate you on the risks and rewards versus some other docs. There's some clinics that are just like, oh, yeah, this will be great. It'll solve all your problems. Like, eh, maybe, maybe not. You know, just be educated. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say, yeah, that is a big problem with, from what I've seen with uh, the, the advent of the local popularity of these uh, clinics all around the right. nation. <laughs> Many of them are just, Push, 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 push. You know, yep. they want everybody on. Uh, and it's like, oh, okay, wait a minute. Um, you know, if I'm 25 years old and like you said, it's low because of this and this and this, like, don't, don't do that. Uh, yeah. But I still, and I've d dealt with people here recently, I still try and push and nobody to, I would love a listener to write in and tell me that they actually did this because I've been trying to talk people into it for years uh, of going and getting blood work done. When you're in your early 20s. Yep. 
just to have a baseline of where you're at because of that. I mean, if for no other reason in that that scale, you look at that scale and it's like 300 to 1100 or whatever it is. Like, find out where you were when you were at your best. And then you could store that away and use that for when you're 45 or 50. <laughs> when you have a reference zone. At least it's a baseline. Where- you got to talk to somebody who's going to take you seriously. And I feel like in this yeah. case, you know, he's just getting poo-pooed. Like, you're just out to be jacked, bro. Look at your numbers. Yeah. Uh, because uh, I've spoken to physicians before and I'm like, well, you know, can I show you some of my old levels? No, I don't care about that. You yeah. Know, yes. One guy actually told me, he said, are you impotent? I said, no. Then that's not your problem. What? Yeah. That's exactly why I say like, get the, because you can't tell me that, I don't know. Uh, Mike Tyson had the same levels at 20 years old that like Urkel did. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's find out where you were and what you could. I mean, I'll tell everybody blatantly half the battle of going on TRT is that first year or more where you have to work with your daughter at dot daughter doctor and like literally figure out where what level is right for you? Yeah, because I've seen some people take a I don't know 50 milligrams a week and their estrogen flies through the roof. Yeah, and then there's other guys that take 150 and they're fine, you know. And I have to think that that goes back to you know where your body was naturally. You know, everybody's different. And if you were somebody that was walking around and you're late 20s at 400 and we bring you to 900, your body's not going to enjoy that. And it goes without saying, this usually goes to most guys, at least get blood work done once a year for crying out loud. (laughs) Like the amount of people I talk to, I'm like, hey, bro, when's the last time you even got any blood work? They're like, I don't know. Like, do you even have a physician you talk to? No. Yeah. Let's start there. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to beat that one to death too much, but yeah, th- the truth is you can't really manipulate those too much either. Like you can't be jacked all the time and then just go off and go in for your work blood work um, because they're going to look at other hormones and be like, no, no, you're playing games. You dropped your T, but these other ones are real high. Yeah, you just have to, you know, be as straightforward as you can and find find somebody who's going to be reasonable. Okay, do you want to do this? Do you guys want to... Um, do you have a specific topic, Phil, a, a lifting topic, or do you want me to talk about this nutrition thing? Let's just talk about that. And I want to see, talk to you guys about the ISSN today, since it was like last weekend. Oh, let's do that first. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, it, yeah. Let's, because that was, it just happened. Uh, Mike, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I always love the ISSN meeting. It's, uh, it is, I think, one of my buddies came up and he's like, yeah. That was pretty nerdy. <laughs> and I think sometimes when you're, it's the public perception of, you know, oh, supplements and science. It's like, oh, that's not real science. These are people just trying to hawk, you know, supplements. And yeah, there is sponsorship and stuff like that, of course. But it's like a lot of very legitimate scientists and legitimate research that's being done in a research format. Um, so I think to some people, they're, they kind of think that it's not really that way. I would say it's not to the extent of experimental biology, which is even more mechanistic and tons of rat studies. But um, yeah, I mean, a couple of things that kind of stood out to me was from a supplement ingredient standpoint, which is always interesting for listeners who enjoy those things. Uh, last year, they had mentioned uh, paraxanthine, 
which uh, is a caffeine-basically derivative. Your body converts most of caffeine into paraxanthine and two other sub-metabolites. And that's being marketed as Infinity, or in, in, I probably got it wrong. So Infinity and Energy um, as a sort of a new crash-free stimulant. Uh, right now, I think Muscle Tech has an exclusive on it, but I think that's coming up pretty soon. So you'll probably see that in a lot of new uh, supplements. Uh, I mean, I've I've tried it and it was good. Like it'll be super interesting to see how it compares against caffeine in terms of performance and a bunch of other stuff. It's pretty expensive right now as a raw ingredient. It's actually very expensive, um, but I think it's interesting. A couple studies on it. Not too much data on that. Um, the other one was uh, a, a peptide called dilucine. So we've heard of leucine helping for increasing muscle protein synthesis or at least kickstarting that process. And they did a chronic training study with uh, two grams of dilucine, I think, AM and post-training. And they did see an effect of you know a little bit better uh, muscle mass and some strength. Granted, the numbers were on the lower side. Um, they did compare that to leucine or a placebo. And a pretty small dose, like just a couple of grams. So not a real high dose at all. So I think that might be interesting. Uh, that was talked about the previous uh, year or two. I talked at length to Ralph Yeager about that. So it was cool to see actually some uh, data on that. And I think we'll probably see more data on those two ingredients coming out, hopefully rather soon. Oh, what other? Oh, yeah. Um Honestly, and Mike and I did not look at this poster or talk to these researchers at the same time. It's interesting that one of my takeaways was also dilucine, right? Like, hey, mm. you know, these dipeptides might, there might be something there. Like your gut doesn't just absorb single amino acids. Um, if it's real expensive, it's kind of like what you said with pyrazanthine versus caffeine. It, it's yeah. kind of bang, bang for the buck. You know, if, if I can take leucine at a fraction of the cost and just take more and still be a better, better off then maybe right. i'll just go cheap but it, yeah it it is interesting yeah so i had some uh positive thoughts about that too you know here's a, a funny phrase that i heard i've never heard this before you guys probably have but hallowed be thy gains <laughs> i thought that was funny As i wrote that in my notes along with everything else you could tell that you know I, i'm a meathead somewhere down deep because i'm writing stuff like that down in between all these data comments and stuff um yeah, what else did I – there was some cool stuff. Um, was it like a, some microalgae extract stuff for muscle yeah. recovery, I think? Uh, that yeah, caught my sense. eye. Uh, there was some stuff about protein dosing. But in all honestly, it always comes back to um, if you're eating about a gram per pound, you're covering all your bases probably, even when you account for things. You know, there's, there's the usual stuff about how plant proteins are less digestible. You got to eat more. You got to mix them together. Although, honestly, chronic studies with plant proteins, they don't make them look as bad as some of the, the acute stuff, I think. Oh, here's one um, from Mike Nelson, psychedelics. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> this, <laughs> this joker gave a talk on psychedelics. What was that about, Mike? Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. It was on Saturday afternoon, and a lot of people were there for it, which was pretty impressive. And it was just basically an outline of what are some of the kind of framework of how you would view it. I mean, depending upon the timelines are always changing. But, you know, one of the last things that MAPS, Rick Doblin, was saying is that MDMA for treatment of PTSD 
might be approved as soon as June of next year. Uh, psilocybin might be approved as soon as December of next year for treatment of depression. So it's probably going to be here sooner than later, hopefully. Uh, those datelines and timelines can always shift. And to me, I just get kind of nervous because as soon as it's here, like the media is going to go bonkers with it. And I think most fitness professionals, coaches of some form, because, you know, there is so much um, mental health issues in general going on. Somebody knows somebody who has it or has it themselves. They're just going to be inundated with questions. And like all things, if you don't have some framework of what's going that's going to be harder to figure out, you know, where to go. Who do you refer them to? Is this thing a good or bad? Should they check into it. So just trying to give people a framework of the different type of compounds. Um, how do they work? Uh, they do seem to increase brain neuroplasticity. So the ability for you to change your brain. Um, one of the studies that was done with uh, psilocybin compared it to uh, a pretty popular uh, SSRI. And within two sessions, it was substantially uh, better. And those, you know, which is a different model too, compared to, you know, just take this drug every day. It's, you know, two sessions and appeared to last for several months. Again, we don't have super long-term clinical data on that yet, uh, but several months out, it, the effect uh, appeared to stay. And then just kind of asking the question, then if that becomes uh, approved, Probably psychedelic supplements are not that far away. And you can find certain ones now that are, you can debate if they're legal or not legal. There's an extract from uh, Amanita Piscarius, or Piscarius, the little red mushroom that is legal because it hasn't been scheduled. I would not start there. It doesn't appear to have very positive effects, hasn't been used in any of the trials. Uh, psilocybin in most states is still legal. But if you look at the cannabis world, they had the basically the the Department of Agriculture ruling that allowed CBD to be legal. So now they've kind of exploited that into um, Delta-8 THC, Delta-10, THCA. There's all these other derivatives of THC that are kind of sort of quasi-legal. And <laughs> I was even in Florida <laughs> staying with some friends and they're like, Oh yeah, we have these like uh, gummies I use to sleep at night. I'm like, I'm looking at the packaging. I'm like, well, this is sold as a supplement. They're like, oh yeah, they're a supplement. And I'm like, this is Delta Nine THC. Like, this is the main active component in you know cannabis. <laughs> and I'm like trying to figure out like how the hell did they sell it? And then it took me forever to figure it out. And I realized I'm like, oh shit! I looked at the weights. So on the side, it says contains less than 0.3% Delta 9 uh, THC, which is what the law says. And then I looked at the total weight and the gummies were like really big. And I went, <laughs> oh, shit. So they made a gummy at 0.3% THC, but they made the weight big enough to actually yeah. hit 10 milligrams of THC. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's the so, serving set. <laughs> right. So I'm like. Man, like there's going to be companies that are going to be very sneaky with all sorts of stuff coming, unfortunately, sooner than later, which we can then debate later if that's a good idea or bad idea. So, yeah, so that's kind of summary of the talk. That's brilliant. They're doing the opposite of the food industry. Right. Like, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> it's like, 
25 calories per serving. There's 48 servings in this candy yeah. bar. They just yeah. did the opposite. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it was fun. I was, uh, always I try to, you know, change some topics and stuff. And I've been reading that research for, you know, about eight plus years and stuff too. So it's, uh, in terms of mental health, you know, the people I know in that space too, it, the early pilot data on the use of psychedelics is, it's extremely positive. And again, one of the downsides is, you know, small trial size, uh, you know, working on FDA approval right now, you know, most of those drugs are all still scheduled one illegal, which is the highest scheduling of drugs at a federal level. And then there's obviously a big issue with placebo. So I found a quote from one of the researchers who's like, no one's going to confuse 200 micrograms of LSD with a placebo. <laughs> you you have a blinding issue. And in one study, they used actually a, a drug to literally wipe their memory of the trial to try to <laughs> eliminate some of the placebo effect. I don't know if that'll continue, but yeah, so kind of blinding issues are, you know, one of the issues trying to set up a randomized, quote unquote, double blind placebo controlled trial. It's like some men in black shit. They just wipe your brain. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Zygafus's talk supplements not named creatine, caffeine, or protein that actually work. Oh, yeah, I Mike and one. I, yeah, we got there late. Yeah, I got there oh, Thursday night. Yeah, so yeah. we missed a couple. And yeah, I did. He's got slides that you can you, you go to the ISS yeah. website, pull his slides. I, I briefly looked at them, it didn't look like anything earth shattering, really. Gotcha. Um, he's just kind of looking about you know what's got the most evidence behind it. You know what, though, before. Let's uh, before we go to break because I think we should start doing that again. Um, there was a two talks by industry guys, uh, Daniel Fabricant, who's a big Washington yeah. D.C. like trade association guy. Something he said, and I really think this is important to get out there through Iron Radio, is the dietary supplement industry is not unregulated. Um, he's like, we've got to move beyond this, right? Because I keep thinking back to the bigger, stronger, faster film and people are laughing and they're encapsulating stuff on their kitchen table. And it's not like that. This is a regulated industry. Yes, Deshay from back in, what was it, 94, Mike? Uh, I think so, 92, 94. Health Education Act. Um, it does create freedom here in the u.s that you don't see in some other countries but let's let's get away from this idea that my god that uh, supplements are unregulated that it's not true um and david sandler later was given a talk on dietary supplements in general and painting with a broad brush he was saying here's what's hot uh mushroom chemicals if you will he was saying broad brush about 600 milligram Dose is what you need a lot of a lot of these mushroom extracts. But again, that's got to vary by by the mushroom. Uh, yeah. Collagen is still big. Uh, antioxidants, including lutein. And I'll tell you, I've seen that in food industry chat, too. Um, lutein is very big for stuff like um, everything from uh, visual processing, you know, cognition, all that. Greens, uh, phytochemicals, fibers. We we're just talking on uh, the other podcast that I do on all these different fibers people have got to get their head around that fiber is not just one thing and it's not just soluble versus insoluble that ship has sailed that's old school stuff it's not necessarily wrong it's just way grossly oversimplified if you know what kind of fibers are prebiotic for example and feed the good guys in your guts that's a big deal it's a big big deal 
some fibers pr provide more satiety, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, yeah. nootropics, sort of like along the lines of what you were saying, Mike, with, you know, psychedelics, nootropics, all that kind of stuff remains hot as far as what David Sandler was yeah. was talking about. So, and he was saying energy drink market is going to almost what predicted to double again by what, 2025? Yeah, 9% year over year growth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's face it, you don't, you know, we talk about being old enough to see things come and go. What hasn't gone, it just came and stayed, is stimulants. Stimulants sell. They just oh, do, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. pre-workout types of stuff. All right. Um, if it's okay with you guys, we'll go, we'll go to break and then we'll come back and we'll look at this study on how fast you eat and what that does to you. Hey, everybody. Iron Radio is back and in an expanded way. What can you expect? Well, first, you can get it simulcast every week on the nutritionradio.org network as well as on the original podcast. It'll appear regularly on iTunes, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting sites. We have a new Iron Radio slash Nutrition Radio Facebook page as well. Please check us out. We're even backed up on YouTube. Second, please tell your friends who are longtime loyal listeners that they may see emails that share just the episode link and the show notes. This is a new thing, and we hope it will build community. Third, if you are a supporting member in the past, we may prompt you to resume through PayPal, but we will confirm each and every donor before reinstating that membership category. We'll never just restart your $4 auto payments without agreement from you. And of course, we will accept new members moving forward as well. Starting back slowly and honorably is the goal. And lastly, expect the sister show, Nutrition Radio, to expand it to once-weekly, 45- to 60-minute episodes with guest co-hosts covering the same nerdy nutrition news that's been broadcast for a few months now in daily 10-minute clips. We hope that an expanded presence will get you the news, education, banter, and guests that's made Iron Radio's community so loyal from the start. You are appreciated. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Iron Radio. We're going to talk about eating pace, eating rate, and how that affects your total intake. Because I'm immediately looking at this in a Phil Stevens kind of way. Like, how can I do this backwards? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, to eat real slow no. to eat less. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely used it. And I'll say most often it's the eating faster for people. Um, who was the one that the guy that wrote the article for Elite FTS about putting the whole quart of oil on your pizza? I can't remember. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought it was Dave Tate. It was somebody that told Dave Tate to do that. Somebody else. And Dave Tate. Yeah. But basically, yeah, you have to you have to beat the full. You know, like yeah. you, <laughs> you have to win. Like you need to attack it because you know when you slow down and eat, all of a sudden you're going to get full off of a little bit of food. And so I'd say I've I've used it both ways, getting people to slow down if they want to lose some weight. But most often, my attention has been towards people is you know you just need to get in there to basically eat as hard as you train you know eat like hard it's going up. I love yeah it. like every fucking meal is max effort yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and it's it, just this, the way it has to be <laughs> this you is know. like t-shirt worthy on the front eat hard on the back beat the full <laughs> and, uh, let me let me just share a couple of comments here and then you yeah you guys obviously have already thought about this stuff a lot i don't think we've ever addressed uh, addressed this directly over the years on podcasts like specifically so. this is a systematic review meta-analysis examining 
the effect of eating rate on energy intake and hunger. This is from Robinson et al., American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in 2014. So why am I bringing it up now? It was recently on a podcast, uh, one of the uh, huge podcasts. They were talking about eating rate. Here's just a couple of uh, poll comments that I highlighted out of this article. Uh, our main objective was to examine how experimentally manipulated differences in eating rate influence concurrent energy intake and subjective hunger ratings. 22 studies were eligible for inclusion. So listeners, I'm sure you realize science has progressed to the point that you're seeing tons of not just individual studies to talk about, but meta-analyses, studies of other studies. And then uh, Mike's probably thinking already. And even umbrella analyses yeah. of meta-analyses. So studies of other studies of other studies. <laughs> so tons of data here. It says evidence indicates that slower eating rate was associated with lower energy intake in comparison with faster eating. Subgroup analysis indicated the effect was consistent regardless of the type of manipulation used to alter the eating rate. So, you know, they might do soft versus hard food or, I don't know, a timer or, or whatever it might be. Here's what caught my eye. There was no significant relation between eating rate and hunger at the end of the meal or up to three and a half hours later. In other Ooh. words, you don't compensate later. That's fascinating to me because I would think that you would probably, you know, people love that Mike knows this better than I do probably. Homeostasis, the human body, you yeah. love to eat about the same number of calories every day, but this sounds like you can manipulate this. It says observational studies, which, you know, this is, they try to do a big minute analysis. The observational studies are fraught with con issues because, you know, you end up with non-cause and effect. Experimental direct manipulations, also mixed results. They say the mechanisms are a couple of things. The speed of eating and the frequency of chewing could influence various satiety hormones. So in other words, like, like what you were saying, Phil, if you eat slowly, eventually things get into your duodenum, right? The first stage of your intestine, and that sends up like this hormonal cascade of, hey, we're full. So you, if, if you want to gain weight, you want to beat that. You know, in grad school, we called that the duodenal reflex, and we would try to <laughs> eat huge amounts of food in under, under 20 minutes. Uh, there's not a magic number there because of gastric emptying and all that, but it says a probable mechanism by which eating rate may affect intake is through the magnitude, that is the duration and the intensity of oral exposure to taste. So it's a sensory, mm. sensory thing. Uh, near the end, it says a recent study did find that slower eating rate was associated with reduced food intake during that meal and compensation did not occur during other meals of the day. And then they finally, they kind of wrap up in the conclusion area. It says most studies reviewed uh, sampled predominantly healthy weight young adults because again we have to think about this too right we're talking about morbidly obese or healthy weight young adults most of these were healthy weight young adults although some studies the mean sample bmi their body mass index was in the overweight range well who isn't right yeah, I mean, I was in other words upper 20s 25 to let's say 30 ish but yeah this got me thinking if you don't compensate later this makes it sound like if you do eat hard and beat the full, <laughs> I, I swear I'm going to make a t-shirt, then <laughs> you're going to get away with it. Like you're not going to be so full later that you can't possibly, you know, shove another bite in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, manipulating the pace other than try to eat real fast when we were trying to gain weight. I don't mean you don't have to be a scientist to know. I'm just going to shovel food as fast as I can, you know, before I get full. But, it, and again, it doesn't say that all studies said there's no compensation later. I'm sure there's probably some. Yeah. But, but by and large, it seems to be this, the, the taste thing. 
you know, the, the sensory thing. Um, yeah. So I know you've done that, Phil. Um, oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like, like I've talked to people with, like I said, going in reverse, like, eh, but I really like my cookies or whatnot. And literally you can get someone a bite of a cookie or the whole cookie and taste wise. And like satisfaction wise, it's essentially the same thing. It's just a bigger bite. You know, so when you're looking to gain weight, we just need to cram four cookies in you know? <laughs> uh, or vice versa. But and then the other big one is uh, I'd, I'd love to see one of these studies extrapolated over time because the people that are punching more in and eating like max effort, like they're got to be cramming more food in. And you take that over time and essentially stretching your stomach and the ability to cram even more, I would think, over time would become possible. Like, it's, it's a trained skill is what I'm getting at. Like, eating. Look at the competitive eaters and things. I mean, <laughs> at some point, it was a trained skill to gain weight. And it was one of the hardest things for me to do. Like, it was going from 165 to 290. It was a... Like, I had to eat like it was my job. And... And not only the whole eat, try and beat the full, but then once the full was gone, doing that again, like most people don't understand, like they want to eat when they're hungry. And when you're looking to gain weight, you have to eat when you're not full. Yeah. You know, if I'm not full, okay, it's time to fill the tank up again. So. Yeah. Liquids. Yeah. Oils. The the point about Dave Tate was a good one. You know, high calorie, nine calories per gram. You know, one of the things that I want to know about this, and I didn't see it in this particular paper, is body composition, right? Yeah. When you when you overconsume, like do waist girth measurements over time, you're like, oh, it's all coming around his waist, you know, with that yeah. rat, rabbit eating. I don't think that's true. We've explored that in years past, right? That a certain percentage of weight gain is lean mass, even if you don't lift when you yep. when you overeat. So I got to think it's still advantageous. I was just curious what you guys did with this whole pacing yeah and i've done the opposite with clients who are trying to lose weight like i actually purposely you know don't you know all the stuff you've heard before like just try to enjoy your food don't eat in front of the tv for god's sake don't eat when you're scrolling through tiktok on your phone or whatever the hell you're doing like just sit down Um, i've been at people like i try to do this i did this for breakfast the other day just go sit outside like get some sun exposure look at trees like relax like eat slow like you're not you know, and especially with trainers, which I understand, like, you, you know, you've got a client here, a client there, and I've lost track of how many trainers I've worked with now who had just massive digestion issues. And all we did is just, like, move their schedule around a little bit so they could eat without having to cram all their food in in, like, three minutes before their next client. You know, yeah. so simple things like that, chew your food, you know, all that helps. And like what Phil is saying on the opposite side, like, one of the first guys I ever met years and years ago when I started lifting, I was trying to gain weight because I was, you know, 156 pound eel shaped rake at like 6'3. And he looked at me and he's like, Don't taste your food, just eat it. I was like, What? <laughs> he's like, No, literally, don't try to taste your food. You just eat more of the food. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's in line with what we just read, isn't it? Right. The sensory thing. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I would say I've, I haven't given any like specific advice besides I, I generally give blanket advice like take your time, don't eat in front of like just don't eat distracted. Yeah. Um, 
screens or otherwise, or like even like listening to something for most people. But I have never, because mostly people who need to gain weight that I work with are like kids. And I mean, you got to do every, like just anything to get them to understand what that process is in the first place. Like, they're like, oh, is two eggs enough? You're like, no, like <laughs> two dozen eggs is enough. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that kind of thing. And just like getting them to like have the concept in their mind first. And then it's like, you know, their eyes are big at first, but then they, you know, get it over time. So I, I've never had it where I've like had someone who was past that point, but then needed like more specific advice on, on that. So usually it's kids and like once they start eating it's like then you gotta like stop them at some point so <laughs> it's usually the same same advice for them but but yeah normally it just kind of depends but i i haven't given any specific advice i might try that with uh i'll do another nutrition cut for some of my clients here pretty soon and then manipulate some of the just basic variables on that and see how it goes you know jerrell even when i dieted really hard I was just, well, let's face it, you're highly motivated when you're going to get on stage in front of lots of people in your underwear. <laughs> but <laughs> but I never tried to eat slowly. I would just eat my little portion, you know, my two chicken breasts and one yam or whatever I had measured out. Um, and then just kind of, you know, grin and bear it, you know, and use discipline. But I never tried to eat it more slowly per se. Maybe that would have made things less difficult for me. I don't know. How often did you eat? Oh, man. Well... Ideally, and I think Mike's on the same page of this, you know, the whole protein spacing thing, I would probably, I would try to eat four times a day um, in very measured amount, you know, and over the course of 20 weeks, the protein levels go up, if anything, uh, and the carb levels, you know, progressively come down. Um, so what you're eating in each meal is different. I mean, by the end, I'm eating almost just chicken, <laughs> you know, yeah, a little bit of green beans or broccoli, you know. Who wants to slowly eat a dry ass chicken breast and some broccoli? <laughs> yeah, amen, <laughs> amen, brother. It, uh, maybe that's why. It's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna savor this. There is no sensory experience in boiled potatoes and boiled chicken. <laughs> so if you slow somebody down with like a platter of Twinkies, maybe they won't eat twelve. You know? That's a good point. That's a good point. Maybe that's Nobody's why I never even thought. <laughs> that dry ass chicken. Mm. <laughs> that yeah you know it's like your hormones your your nervous system all this kind of gut brain axis it's like you know lonnie what are you trying to manipulate the sensory <laughs> intensity because there is no sensory <laughs> you've won There's nothing happening here it's so, bland it's glue yeah. it's paper <laughs> yeah. so yeah that that boils down to choices whereas you know like it's nobody ever like, yeah like thanksgiving dinner like how many times are people undoing buttons because they just oh my god <laughs> so that never happened at a all you can eat dry ass chicken breast convention right <laughs> no, no it's a good being popped open so well and it's the kind of thing you always say phil as well which is you know it's population specificity like you're not going to see this in reverse like how can we do this to try to force feed in bodybuilders or power lifters you know because we want maximum calorie load and you yeah. know, and that kind of stuff. But we need to address the weight gain stuff. I feel like if we don't, it it doesn't get enough attention, you know, like in most like medical type clinical or science circles. Yeah, weight gain, but usually weight gain is for stuff like cancer wasting patients and that kind of stuff. Yes, athletes want to gain weight, but I don't think it gets a ton of attention. And I'm, I'm no, thinking the I mean, opposite. 
the modern food market is is built for fast high consumption. You know, and that's where my argument that I've always said is like, yeah, today is like our fattest society in the world, but it's also the best for extreme athletes because of the food we have access to. Yeah. Like 200 years ago, you couldn't like quickly plow through like chewing on a buffalo leg. You know, you had to <laughs> fucking eat slow. You know, you had to chew that son of a bitch. Connective up. tissue. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, and now, you know, you grab a bag of chips and a, you know, 300 calorie soda and you can have, you know, a thousand calories in 30 seconds. You know, that just wasn't possible. So maybe we yeah. do need to like the, the food of old, like forced you to slow down and eat dinner. And you had to expend calories just to go freaking get it. Yes. Yeah. You had to expend the calories to clean it and go get it. And now like, like if I wanted to have, I could have 10,000 calories crammed in, in five minutes. If I wanted to, just drinking it, and you know, <laughs> uh, that that wasn't possible back back in the day. So you know, it's a good point. When I first heard that guys like Michael Phelps, you know, the swimmer for you meatheads out there who don't care, uh, oh, I eat twelve thousand calories a day. My first thought was bullshit. Um, at least not if it's a variety of food. If 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 there's any semblance of regular intake, but then you think about what is this? You know, it's you could shovel in a couple of Big Macs, and man, you're adding calories fast. You know, then you drink, you drink down, you know, a bunch of just raw, a sugary pop or weight gainers or whatever. Yeah. In today's modern soft food world. I mean, I read that in that paper a little bit. You know, one of the manipulations is softer foods. Well, my God, you could, you could eat most of what's on the McDonald's menu without teeth. You really can, you know. Exactly. And it's highly loaded in calories. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. They've made it easy. You know, there's a reason the population is obese. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's right. It's all it's capitalism. And most of what I see in today's world is capitalism gone bad, late stage capitalism gone bad. You know, it's because everything is about a buck It's about branding and making money. And, you know, you can say, oh, you should worry about the health of the population. Do you really think the food industry is going to do that? Mike and I have been to IFT. We know what these guys are trying to do in the background. They want sales, man. You know? Yeah. And the faster they make it, it's quickly edible. You know, you're able to cram in, it digests fast. So guess what? You need more. Right. It's all just, it's good marketing, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm not saying I'm completely against capitalism. I think late stage capitalism where everything gets commoditized makes me roll my eyes. But yeah, yeah like the seats in McDonald's, how they, for the longest time, are fast food, soft food, shovel, shovel, shovel. And then your butt gets uncomfortable on the hard plastic seat and you leave. Yep. Move them yep. out like an yep. assembly line, you know. Yep. All right. Well, we can call it there. Yeah, sounds good. That's fun discussion. Sounds like good. I said, we've never yeah. talked. I don't think we've ever talked about that at, at great length before and how it applies. It's a good point, Phil, about the blandness of competition <laughs> diets. It wouldn't help me anyway. You're right. It wouldn't help me anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, All you right, needed cool. to turn on something to listen to while you eat to distract you from how bad it is. Right. <laughs> Pure so. utility. Yeah, zero, zero pleasure for, you know, the last, at least the last. 10 or 15 weeks out of the 20. Zero pleasure. There was no sensory input. (laughs) Nope. None. All right, guys. All right, guys. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation. Uh, We also are accepting 
supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.